Hey, what's going on, Well, family? Uh, week two, y'all ready? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Uh, today we're gonna be tackling the topic of racial reconciliation uh, as a form of justice and mercy in our lives uh, to really reflect the kingdom on earth as it will be in heaven. It will be a reconciled heaven and kingdom, and we want that even here right now. And so uh, obviously our country is steeped in injustice around racial matters, both historically and and even in present day. And as a church, we long to see what the kingdom will actually look like lived out amongst us. And we really love to see diversity even within our family. In fact, that's actually one of our distinctives as a church. We say uh, that we strive to be a diverse community that foreshadows our true home. And our country, our church does not fully look like heaven yet. And so we wanna see on earth and in the church as it will be one day in the kingdom of God. And we got work to do on that, okay? So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, uh, grab them. Genesis chapter one is where we are going to be. So you can turn there. We starting off in the beginning today. Uh, in order to know where we are going, we really have to know where we have come from. Now I'm gonna fly through some of this because uh, I will assume a base level of knowledge around diversity and reconciliation issues for our particular church. Uh, also because on our racial reconciliation resources page. I'm going to have five to six videos that I'm shooting on this very topic if you kind of want to go in deeper, okay? Now, I will admit, I actually already shot three of those and then the files corrupted, so we currently have none of them bad boys, all right? Because in case you didn't know, Satan, he dwells in tech stuff, okay? Like, you get a microphone involved, you get a demon coming out somewhere, all right? Or maybe it's just human error, not knowing how to use tech, but I'm going to blame Satan's sorry tale on this one, all right? Can I get a witness, all right? So, uh, hey, but we're going to be shooting some videos, all right, and going into this a little bit further in the future, because as a church, we really care about these things. We really desire to see something happen in the midst of all of this. So I'm going to fly through some base stuff today so we have at least a little bit of a foundation and then get practical for us as a church. Bet? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. This is this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Very, very simple. We're not gonna belabor this point here, but every single human has been created in the image of God. Psalm 139 says that, that we are formed in our mother's womb. God has intricately formed every single human being, and he's hardwiring in their DNA traces or reflections of divinity, reflections of himself, of his image. And so male or female or black, brown or white or young or old or rich or poor or good looking or, you know, I ain't say anybody particular. I ain't say anybody in specific, all right? But we are each created in God's image. And so uh, therefore to disrespect someone because of their skin color or their culture is to disrespect the very person of God himself. Because when you sin against me because I'm black or against somebody because they're white, you're not just disrespecting them in their body, you are disrespecting God himself for we are made in the image of God, family, amen? Yeah. And so this is important issue. 
Like, this is an important thinking to realize that, man, we need to see each other as image bearers of God. And so right away from the jump, okay, can, can I put my white brothers and sisters at ease on this topic like right now? You two were made in the very beautiful image of God, okay? And so you do not have to feel guilt because you are white. God made you that way, and God don't make mistakes, y'all. He is sinless. He knows what he's doing. Now, you have to realize that you may have a responsibility because of the position that he's put you in, particularly in our context, in our country, and we'll talk about that, that you may have to help others out as well, but you don't need to feel this guilt for who God has made you to be, and the same is true with each of us. And so, black sister, you are beautiful because you were made in the image of God, Asian brother, you are beautiful because messianic kingship is traced in your frame. We need to realize that we are image bearers of God, every single one of us. However, just because we're image bearers doesn't mean that we don't have a sin problem. Mankind is sinful, so we do not only sin against God, but we also sin against God's creation. And all throughout scripture, we see racism or ethnocentrism flooded throughout the Bible. In fact, in Genesis chapter four, the chapter right after the fall of man, you actually see Cain kill his brother Abel. God's punishment is that he would be kicked out of his tribe or his clan, and Cain is terrified because he says, if I go to these other tribes, they're gonna end up killing me. Genesis 4.13 says, why? Well, because he's not a part of their tribe. And so already we see tribalism kind of creeping in. We one chapter out of Genesis 3. And already we see the propensity for us to surround ourselves with people that we are familiar with and cast out others rather than see them as image bearers of God. We become self-protective and we try to protect our comfort and our territory rather than and allowing other people to come in and refine their dignity in the Father. And so right away we see this, and the Egyptians enslaving the Jews, and the Philistines and the Babylonians, to Jesus' day where the Jews hated them half-breed Samaritans, right? People always hating on mixed people, bruh. Like, <laughs> no, we make the cutest babies, all right? Shoot, right? But the Bible, okay, the Bible is flooded with racism and prejudice. It's all throughout. In fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Mankind is sinful, meaning we disrespect God. We reframe what is good and what is evil. Now listen, if I were discipling a guy and he said like, hey, you know, I have no problem with lust and therefore I'm going to do nothing to protect myself against that because I ain't got no problem with it. I would call that man a fool, okay? That is foolish to think like that. You have a propensity towards sin, and just because you're not struggling with it today doesn't mean that can't easily creep into your life. It's crept into everybody's life. And so if I'm talking to someone who think that they themselves do not have a tendency towards bias or prejudice or racism, I would say that's kind of foolish, y'all. Why does James 2, why does Exodus 21, why are there all these chapters about not showing partiality if we don't struggle with it? If all man has sinned, and if racism is a sin, which it is, and if most people in the scripture we can see clearly are actually guilty of prejudice, then we would be foolish to not think that we ourselves have a tendency to mistakenly or purposefully drift in that direction. 
him. All men have sin. All women have sin. We are sinners. We need redemption from a holy God. And if we are acting in our flesh, then we will bend towards prejudice, towards bias, towards our own self-protection, towards racism. And so this is an issue. There's sin in the world. And because we do not know how to find our justification in Christ, we will find it somewhere because all of us are looking to be justified. And if we do not find it in the gospel, we will find it in things that we do or who we are, aka we will find our value in our work or our identity and we'll begin to inflate our identity. And in order to actually have it have value, we have to deflate others' value. So then we begin to self-protect and we see ourselves as superior than others. All of us have a tendency towards sin, family of God, including the sin of racism. Or we tend to think that there's not an issue because we tend to think that sin doesn't flow around the world around us. And we ignore the systems that have been set up to historically advantage the majority culture. And we start uh, benefiting off of those unbalanced scales. And we don't say anything about it, becoming passive participants in that same injustice. Because we can say all we want, well, well, I'm not racist personally. And I would still really contend with Romans 3.23 and your deceitful heart in scripture that you can bend that direction. Whether or not you struggle with it this moment doesn't mean you won't struggle with it tomorrow or right now as I'm talking about it. Our heart can bend. But even if that were true, that you don't have a personal problem, there's still clearly a problem in the world. And our segregated churches and our segregated wealth and our segregated forms of equality. And just because a new king in the Bible, when God set up new kings, just because that king didn't set up the Asherah poles or the altar to Baal, it wasn't enough to just not participate in it. God wanted that new king to destroy those old altars, to tear those systems down so that the other people will not fall prey into that very sort of injustice where there is injustice, whatever it looks like, whether we are participants in it or passive about it, we are a people who should long to see justice, even if that means making somebody else's problem our problem, because Christ made our problem his problem, so now we act like Christ in the world, y'all. We need to realize that there's an issue, and so we want earth to look most like heaven, as best as humanly possible, and in heaven, I'm not treated differently because of how I talk or look. And so we should realize that there are things going on, there is sin, but where there is sin, God always calls his people to do something about that sin. He doesn't call the world to do something. He calls his church to do something about it. And so it starts in the church, y'all. And so just like last week when God called Abraham to be a man of justice and mercy and to carry that out amongst the nations, we actually see it starting with Abraham too on this issue. In fact, if you go to Genesis chapter 12, this is the call of Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse one, it says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this is two verses before you even know who Abraham is. Like this dude is fresh on the scene. 
mean. You don't know who his mama is. You don't know who his sisters are. You just met this guy. And what's one of the first things that we see God promising him is that all the families on the earth will find their blessing through him. Immediately, as God is trying to work redemption into the world through his people, you see God's heart for the nations, that God longs that all of the nations would come into the kingdom of God, and this finds its fullest picture in the person of Christ. And so I want to dive into one of our passages because God was all throughout Israel's history trying to draw the nations in, even as they began to try to push the nations out, but Christ came and did something about that. And so I'm going to have my friend Tracy read in Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to chop it up in that text for a moment. So Tracy, go ahead. Hi, everyone. My name is Tracy Earhart, and I'm a covenant member of The Well, and I will be reading today from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 13 through 16, and verse 19 in Mandarin. 以弗所书, 第二章, 十三到十六节, 还有十九节. 你们从前远离神的人, 如今却在基督耶稣里, 靠着他的血, 已经得清净了, 因他使我们和睦, 将两下合而为一, 使两下归为一体，与神和好了。这样，你们不再做外人和客旅，是与圣徒同国，是神家里的人了。Thank you, Tracy. Now, uh, vertical, horizontal. Remember that from last week. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through ten, is wildly known, and rightly so. It deals with our vertical relationship with God. We are made right or just with God because of the cross of Christ. Hallelujah! Like this is good news. And just as we said last week, without a vertical relationship, there will never be true horizontal change. But we tend to stop at verses eight and nine as if that's the full gospel. But that isn't the full picture. Not Paul's full gospel. Christ did not just make us vertically right with God. His death and resurrection gave us an ability to become horizontally right with one another. You see here, Jesus' blood, the gospel, gives us intimacy with God. Verse 13 says, you see that on the screen. And then intimacy can actually be had with one another in verses 14 through 15 as well. In fact, the call of the gospel goes further than the world's call on unity when they think about racial reconciliation because they say, hey, let's just all get along, right? Like, like, let's respect each other. But the gospel goes way further than that. It says that we are fellow citizens, a family, a household together. We're not just legally supposed to get along. We are relationally supposed to be all up in each other's mess, y'all. Your aunt and them living with you, right? Like, we're supposed to be in it with one another. In fact, look at chapter 3, verse 6 real quick. And I, I love this verse, 
says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is marveling at the gospel and at the work of the gospel. That word Gentile is the Greek word ethnos, where we get the word ethnicity from. And so he says, hey, look, this is a mystery that somehow we can all be brought in together in this thing that God desired from the very beginning of creation is now finding its fulfillment in Christ. We are not only right with God, but Paul goes on through the rest of chapter two and even into chapter three to say, this is crazy, we're right with one another. Like all of a sudden, African and Asian and American, they're, they're, look at what the gospel can do. In fact, J.D. Greer, who's a pastor in uh, North Carolina, when talking about the power of the gospel, he says this, He says, we see this reflected even in how the gospel has spread down throughout history. Christianity has roughly 20% of its followers in Africa, 20% in Asia, 20% in Europe, 20% in North America, and 20% in South America. Every other major religion has at least 80% of its followers concentrated on one continent. Christianity, statistically speaking, has no dominant culture. It is the most diverse movement in history. Why? Because the gospel transcends culture, y'all. White people and white gospel, that's that's not the gospel, not the fullness of it, nor black culture, nor Jewish culture, nor first century or 21st century. God is restoring everyone and everything into himself because Christianity is not a religious movement. It is the restoration of a kingdom. And that's what we are fighting for is the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I'm about to throw this stuff in here. Like, man, this is good news, y'all. This is good news. Christianity is not centered around some culture. It's centered around some person, and his name is Jesus, who is also God and also is our creator, and he is re-revealing how each of us reflects him in all of our complexities. Glory. That is glorious, y'all. And in order for God's glory to truly shine, we We need the full picture of the kingdom represented, which means we need all the families on earth to be present in this. And the blood of Jesus is the great equalizer that allows that to be possible, family. And I love this. And in fact, think about Paul's gospel, right? In Romans chapter one, verse 16, you probably know this verse because it's kind of a cliche verse to an extent. And I love what Paul is doing here. Romans 1, 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is cliche, right? And there's a reason for it. This is the theology of Paul's gospel here. It is the power of God for salvation. But did you notice it didn't stop there? Paul's gospel was an ethnic gospel. Paul didn't end at the power of God for salvation. He made sure to include how the gospel was actually bringing all of the cultures together, that it can redeem everyone. It will fulfill the Genesis chapter 12, verse 3 promise because God always fulfills his promises y'all. And the gospel is the thing that is doing that. And Paul is fascinated with it. And he talks about it all the time that in the gospel, you and I can be family, though our cultures are different. Our king is the same. And we get the opportunity to walk in that, y'all. In fact, this is how we actually see some of the power of the gospel. It's by it spreading to different ethnicities or ethnos is that word there in 
Romans chapter one as well. In fact, uh, the reason why a lot of us have, I would argue, very tiny pictures of God and you lack the power and intimacy that you desire to have with God is because of your uh, homogenous context. You see, you don't see how God moves and acts in different cultures and, and races and people. And so you're only seeing a fracture of the multifaceted nature of God. That's why when you go on mission trips, you're blown away because you see God moving in ways you're not used to. That's why when you go up in a black church, you'd be like, oh, I think I just felt, felt the Holy Ghost, right? And then you see him differently. And why when I personally came out of the black church into the white church, at first I thought, yo, these cats ain't love Jesus because wasn't nobody catching no Holy Ghost in this mug, right? But then I saw the culture and the structure that was highlighting the structure of our God, and I fell more in love with Jesus through discipleship because of that, and yet not neglecting the black culture church that helped me have this intimacy with God. And all of a sudden, we realize that we need each other to see the fullness of God because his amago day is tracing every one of us, y'all. This is why we fight for unity. This is why we care about this, because we love God. We want to see God displayed on the earth that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, and the gospel is the great unifier to that, y'all. We see its power working through all of us. Let me cut it straight on this. Without diversity, you are only getting a one-sided, shortened, minute picture of your God, a tiny image of him. We need holistic diversity to see the holistic nature, the fullness, the beauty of our God, not tokenism so we can feel good about ourselves and not assimilation so that we are comfortable. No, unity in diversity, messy, stretching, humble diversity. That's what we long for. Now, there's a problem, right? We know that we are not living this out to its fullest extent, that even when the gospel comes into our lives, we still tend to dabble in and walk in our old nature at times. And so we send through our old habits and old lust, old greed, old idolatry, old prejudice, old racism. And that problem isn't new, y'all. It was happening even in the early church. Though the gospel was the unifier, man's sin was still trying to insert itself into the gospel. And so you see this actually from one of the predominant church leaders. And so I'm going to have uh, my good friend Jenna read Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 14 for us so we get context so this ain't no new problem y'all it's been here from the beginning jenna go ahead read that for us hi well family my name is jenna moles and i help to co-lead the southeast cg and i also serve in well kids with the two and three-year-olds today i'm going to be reading for you from galatians chapter 2 verse 11 through 14 but when cephas came to antioch i opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jenna. Now, unless you think you're better than a guy that Jesus discipled for three years and built his church around, then you can admit that you can fall into tendencies of racial and ethnic bias, y'all. Like, 
Jesus, how many times do you have to tell Peter this? And he's still falling into this. Now notice in verse 14, Paul actually called this a gospel issue. What does not eating with Gentiles, that word ethnos once again, what does that have to do with the gospel? Everything. Didn't you just hear Paul's gospel, right? The gospel is the unifier. And Paul is so committed to this idea that literally when Peter starts to eat at the lunch table by himself, he says, you're being a threat to the gospel itself. You're being a threat to what God is doing. You are threatening the work of God is what he's telling him. The gospel is the power of God for uh, uh, salvation for every tongue and tribe and nation and culture. And Peter is threatening that because he's Isolating rather than inviting and unifying. Peter is isolating himself. Christ broke down the barriers and we have the tendency to set up those barriers again and to walk in our old sin, especially if it benefits us. And see, this is where uh, Paul is calling out sin. And if that doesn't happen, then sin sits. And unfortunately, in the American church, there has not been many Pauls. And so we allow prejudices or systemic racism or our own bias towards power and privilege creep in, staining the work of Christ on the cross. The Bible says that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens. And unfortunately, many of us don't feel like fellow citizens. We feel like we're strangers and aliens, even in the church still. Like, can I keep it real with y'all? As, as church family, as a family of God fighting for this together. Just this week, I was overwhelmed with this. In fact, I broke down and wept in front of a bunch of people, which I don't normally do. I'm a crier, but not like, oh, unconsolable, okay? And I was real talk, I was unconsolable. And the reason why is that last week, the only negative emails and texts that I got were actually involving race issues, even though I didn't even talk about race. That was not what the sermon was about last week. Yeah. I gave two or three examples about race. I gave more political examples than I gave racial examples. And yet people were reading this narrative into me as if they didn't know me, as if all of a sudden I'm, I'm on this other thing, right? And I could have been talking about abortion and they would have loved the sermon because it would have fit right in with the narrative. But because they thought I was talking about race, there was some anger and some protectiveness that came when I was not attacking them, the gospel attacked attacks nothing but our sin, y'all. And literally just trying to lay out the gospel. And y'all, that is taxing and tiring, y'all. It's difficult when that's always what you're wrestling with. You see, for many of us, this is a political or a social issue. But for me, it's a personal issue. I'm black. And every time we talk about this stuff, we're not talking about something. We're talking about some ones and people in this. Like, you're talking about a part of who God made made me to be, and you're philosophizing over me, and that's tiring at times. And when every single black person in America, minus a few who have been blessed not to experience some of the same things that we experience, that's a blessing, praise God, but minus a few when everyone is telling you that something is up and you say that it isn't, that doesn't make me feel like family. That doesn't make me feel like we're together in this. When I come to mom and dad and say, hey, brother, 
brother's messing with me, and when the mom's like, that ain't true, and when that happens over and over again, that doesn't feel like family, y'all. At least let's investigate this joint together, right? And so this makes me feel like we're unwilling to do what Christ did, which was take some of the power that he had and lay it down for the sake of me who is powerless. Now he is building me up in him, and we, as Americans in general, but particularly my majority culture family, have been given this power and privilege. What would it look like to lay it down just to equal that a little bit, to to even just listen to that? Like some of y'all, if you know me, you know my story in this, right? And I won't belabor all of the facts of my story, but you know that I've had guns drawn on me by a cop when I told him I was a pastor. He told me that I was lying because of the way that I looked. You know that I've been called coons on UT's campuses or that I've been called boy or nigger by white people often in my life well over a dozen times. And some of y'all are more shocked that I would use that word in a sermon and it did something to your heart. Whatever it did to your heart, imagine what it did to mine when I was being called that, y'all. Imagine what that makes me feel like and how that makes me feel like I want to begin to fight, not be a person of mercy. And yet the gospel calls me toward mercy. Imagine how systemic racism has plagued my family. Like this is still an issue today. In fact, I was shocked because I was having a conversation with several of my friends in this church who are in mixed race marriages. And I ended up going on a little quest and I asked 17 people in our church, which there's more than that, but I asked 17 who are in mixed race marriages as any of them had racial hostility from their in-laws. And 16 of the 17 of them said yes, several of them being called the N-word by their mother-in-law or father-in-law, and several of them being told that they couldn't or that they shouldn't marry their spouse because they were black and brown, and we think that something isn't wrong or that this is the last generation's problem. That don't sound like the gospel. These are people that have been married for less than five years. This is an issue still that is impacting us, and I can use 180 personal examples and stories of so many people in our church. People still do not honor the image of God that is found in everyone because we are not fighting a war against each other. Don't hear that when I'm saying this. We are not fighting flesh and blood, but we are fighting an unseen enemy, Satan, and Satan wants to tarnish the image of God and how God has created us in our culture is one of the most beautiful ways that we can show that image of God. Of course Satan wants to tarnish this. Of course he wants to cause division in the church, right? Which don't get it twisted. Can't nobody tarnish my image. Can't nobody else define my identity. God does that. You can only affirm my identity. But it does bring kingdom fulfillment and kingdom unity when you affirm my culture rather than try to diminish it or make it assimilate into yours. There is still sin despite the blood. And do you see why this is hard? When you go in, this is hard. This makes it hard to be unified. And yet... I am married to a white woman, y'all. I love white people, okay? I am unashamed to say that sincerely, right? Because the gospel allows me to break down the dividing wall of hostility, and rather than making this a me versus them, I see the spiritual nature of it. I'm able to break down that through the power of the gospel so that where there was two, there is now one, and she can affirm my dignity, and I can affirm her dignity, and we can see the beauty 
of each other's culture and through that see a fuller picture of God, the gospel can give dignity back to where the enemy tries to destroy it. Even if that enemy is working within our own family, the gospel still overcomes that, y'all. Yeah. We can walk into this. And so, like, what do we do in light of that, right? Because clearly this is a complex issue. There's different hurts and different experiences, and this is deep and rooted problems. And so how do we walk in the midst of this? Well, I want to actually read the end of the story, and then I want to pull back from there and give you some of my thoughts as we continue to wrestle forward as a church family together, if you're willing to wrestle forward with us. And so let's flip over to the book of Revelation, where we are looking at the actual kingdom that has come at this moment. And I'm going to have my good friend George read from chapter 5 and chapter 7 for us. Hi, my name is George. I am a community member here at The Well. I am a part of Solav's community group, and I get to serve with the Connect team here. I'm going to be reading from the book of Revelations, chapter 5, verse 9, and also chapter 7, verse 9. After they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is the word of the Lord. This ain't just Paul's gospel. This is John, another disciple of Christ. He says, the blood of Jesus ransomed the tongues, the tribes, the nations. They are seeing it, y'all. They love this idea of how the gospel can bring together people from every tongue, tribe, nation, and culture. The kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We just saw what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and the earth don't look like that. So we got work to do, y'all. We got work to make that a reality. But I believe that our church can be a model for this. We do have some diversity, y'all. We're doing okay in this issue. We, we haven't arrived in that. We got work to do for sure. There's unity to be had and injustice to have overcome, but we can fight for that, y'all. And we can begin to walk toward that. Like, can I get real practical here just for our church right now, just so that we would keep fighting together in the midst of this? I just want to get as practical as possible and just talk in that sense, okay? In Acts chapter 13, I, I, I love this section. And our love of our church looked like this. Acts 13, verse 1, it says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Okay, so these are the leaders in the church. Luke is trying to show you who the leaders are. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and so literally, Luke is like giddy about how the gospel is not just unifying these cultures, but now these cultures are actually rising up into church leadership. He's going out of his way to try to show you the diversity of the early church. Three of these five people named ain't even named no more. We know nothing about these dudes, but he's saying, look, there's two dudes from Africa, a guy from Europe, a guy from Asia, a guy from the Middle East. Like, you got a guy in here, Niger? Like, that is the word black. He's going by his street name in this mug, right? Like, that's why I used to call my boy Demetrius, black, because he was black, all right? And so, like, you got guys in the church. These are the leaders in the church. And if everyone around you looks just like you, you're probably not loving your neighbor as 
as yourself. You're just loving an extension of yourself, as we've said multiple times in this church family. And so what does it look like for you to make friends with people who don't look like you and not have them assimilate into your culture, but you actually learn about theirs, knowing that this is actually just beneficial to you in the long run? Because the more you do that, you get a fuller picture of Christ and you see him reflected and you grow in intimacy with God. And so you see purposeful leadership, but we can have even purposeful friendship where we are seeing diversity amongst ourselves. In other words, you don't make friends with people that don't look like you because it's cool and you get cool points from the culture. That's tokenism. That's not what we're doing here, right? Like, like I'm not trying to be y'all's token black friend. That's not what we're talking about, right? We're saying you are literally trying to see the kingdom of God and validate the Imago Dei within other people, and you can do that. And as you do that, you should tell them, look, you remind me of Jesus because of whatever it is. Honor who God has made them to be. Let them know how the culture is pointing you towards Christ, whether it's white or black or Latino or Asian or me telling Anthony that my black culture making his shoes and his feet look good today. <laughs> right? Like, like, look, honor culture, y'all. I had to get that in there. All right? All right? Listen, okay, make friends with people that aren't like you, okay? Listen, number two, take time to listen. Like, like listen, all right? Stop talking, stop justifying, ask questions. Be like Jesus there. By the way, Jesus was always right and he still asked questions. You ain't always right, you can learn to ask questions, okay? Uh, we can literally see God in each other and in what we do. And so seek it, like, like seek, ask about it, learn about it. Third, recognize what reconciliation actually is. People think, that reconciliation is agreement, and that's not what we're talking about here. We may not always agree on everything. That's not what we think of when we think of reconciliation. In fact, I just looked at different definitions of that word reconciliation, and I want to read a couple of them for you. Merriam-Webster, it says, to restore to friendship or harmony, reconcile the factions. Dictionary.com, it says, to cause a person to accept or to be resigned to something not desired. Hmm. Cambridge Dictionary, I'm over here getting European dictionaries and junk in this mug, right? <laughs> to find a way in which two situations or beliefs that are opposed to each other can agree and exist together. Vocabulary.com says to come to terms with. Like, this is confusing, right? Those are four totally different definitions here. And so what I'm going to say as our church is let's fight for racial justice and go back to the sermon last week and listen if you have a wrong idea of justice because a lot of us have been more decisive by CNN and Fox than we have by the scriptures, so we don't know what justice actually is. And so racial justice, that's making things right. So when you see something wrong, then speak up about it. Lay down your rights for the sake of others. Also, extend mercy, both sides, y'all. Like, we can show the world the beauty of the gospel when we are able to extend mercy even though that person does not deserve it or we feel like they don't deserve it because we have been hurt. Imagine the wit to the world around us. Wow. On our racial reconciliation resources page, which you can find on our website, we have a list of a billion things that you can go look at. People are like, that's too many. We did it on purpose. Pick one, y'all, okay? And learn. Look, I don't even agree with every single thing or thinking on there. Learn. It's okay to learn and to try to understand so that you can try to fight for this. In fact, one of the things that we're doing as a result of this is we're starting three Be the Bridge groups. 
groups, okay? And so if you wanna actually learn more intensely about this, there's three groups that are starting, they're 10 weeks long, and we're just walking through and discussing this together. And you can go on our website, go underneath the classes section and, and look for that and sign up for one of those if you're interested in diving in deeper. In fact, Tracy, who read scripture, is gonna be one of the facilitators for that so you get a picture with a person, okay? And so there's ways you can learn there and seek to try to understand there. There's so much we can do, right? In fact, in a lot of ways, the sermon feels kind of shallow because of how deep this issue actually is. Of course it's deep, y'all. Literally, it is tied directly to the heart of the gospel as we saw over and over and over. So don't sleep. That's why the enemy attacks this issue because he's trying to attack the gospel. Fight it, y'all. Fight it. Push back darkness and fight for the kingdom of God. Fight past the white guilt so that you can see other cultures and see the beauty of them. Fight past your anger and pain to extend mercy and see the beauty of the kingdom coming together. I know you don't always know what to do. That's okay. Do something. And if you jack up, repent. That's the gospel. My bad, right? And we should extend mercy to one another in Christ. I know that it's hard to forgive, but believe the words of Christ when he commands our forgiveness, that his command is for our good, and that he's doing something in the midst of it. Trust him. Be unified, knowing that apparently Jesus saw something worthy in the person that he spilled his blood for that you're still holding out with hostility towards because they look different than you or have hurt you. Jesus apparently saw them as worthy. Can we not do that, y'all? Can we not do that? If the God of the universe who doesn't need us at all, by the way, sees us as worthy, then we can for one another. So I know there's years. I know there's systems to unravel. And look, we ain't gonna do all this in one day, but we can start somewhere and we could begin to fight together as a community. Listen, remember the gospel. You were reconciled to God even though he was nothing like you. And he crossed that bridge and he, he made a way and he brought us into his family so we can fight for unity within diversity for each other, family of God. Minorities, by the way, hang in there, please, okay? Like you have a God who became an oppressed minority for you. He knows what it feels like. He knows what you're going through. And so when it feels heavy, go to the one who became like you that he might make you one day like him. Know that he feels you. Majority culture, I know that it feels confusing Confusing and no, 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 God did something about that. He crossed the bridge as well. He became like you as well. And he did something to bring unity and reconciliation. We can see our God in the midst of this struggle. And as we seek diversity for our family, what a witness to the world that it will become, especially in a homogenous city like Austin, if we begin to be a church that looks significantly more like the kingdom than our city does. And if we begin to extend the mercy that each of our souls need and right the wrongs that the world and even at times the church has created. And if we seek unity within diversity, man, we can be a beacon, a city that's on a hill, y'all. It's a long road, but it's a beautiful road. And it's a hard road to walk down, but it's a worth it road to walk down for this is the fulfillment of the gospel. And so if we fight for justice and mercy, we will see the goodness of God in this. And so love justice and accept Extend mercy, y'all, and let's start somewhere, and let's be a church that reflects the beauty of our King. Let's see Christ in one another. Honor the dignity that is the Imago Dei in every individual, y'all. I love you guys like crazy. Let's pray.
Um, God, I pray that, man, that you would, if, it, if this is what it takes, open up heaven and lower down food on a blanket like you did with Peter so that we can see your heart for the nations. God, if that's what it takes, then do that right now. Even as we're praying, open up our hearts to see what your heart is. Your heart longs for every tongue, tribe, nation, and culture. That's part of why you bled and died, is to redeem the world. And so God, let us not be content with one-sided pictures of you, but let us long to see the whole thing. Teach us how to see this in one another. Let this be a witness to the world around us. God, I pray for those who are watching that do not have a relationship with you. I pray that they would see that that is the greatest injustice and that you made a way for them to be brought back into intimacy with you. And if they believe in you, then one day they will live forever with you. And I pray that if they care about this issue, they would see how only the gospel is able to actually fix this and that they would even enter into that gospel family to be a part of that. God, lead us past being disciples of Fox and CNN and let us actually be your disciples. Let us fight for Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. Teach us to be humble and to repent and to forgive and to push back the darkness that Satan has peddled on us. God, give us justice, please, God. I'm sick of the injustice. Give us justice. God, give us mercy and allow us to give each other justice and mercy and to extend that. Let us fight for justice. Let us extend mercy as a church family and figure out ways to make the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in your beautiful and precious and diversely beautiful name, God. Amen.